Yeah. I mean, there were a bunch of them that didn't have any idea what to do with us. <laughs> you know, I and know they went home at night going, oh, man. <laughs> and, it, and it was almost a um, see who could go before the board of uh, directors uh, most frequent times for things that were done around the building and things. Again, we play hard. We, we worked hard. Yeah. We played hard. I remember. Um, you might remember this, too. John, you probably do. We took a class called Basic and Light Duty Rescue <laughs> down off Maury Street. The diesel barracks. The diesel barracks down off Maury Street. And one of our members thought it would be a good idea to ball his fist up <laughs> and see if he could break this piece of drywall in these, in these diesel barracks. He was going to use the stud for an anchor. He was going to use it for an anchor point. Yep. He had a reason for doing it. It wasn't just because he decided to push a hole in the wall. I was Picked the wrong tool for the job. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I was at that class, but not present when that incident occurred. And for at least a few years after that, was known as the stud finder. <laughs> Seven originally might have been called, but anyway, they—they they, I don't know where they went. Did they go to Bon Air when they started? Okay, because yeah. I remember going to Bon Air when I was um, oh God. In, in the early but if later years, seventeen, eighteen. Bon talk, there would be people in jail. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I remember going over there and visiting. Must I remember going Kent. over with right. huh? Yeah, recording. Oh, absolutely. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. On the Andy this, Stump. Is, this is the best stuff. Yeah, Andy Stump. He, he turns it on before he ever tells anybody That's he turns right. it on. That's right. I remember going over with Perry Hornbarger and running calls at number two for, for a while. That um, open cab ladder. Every time I showed up, they would say, okay, you're here for the day. Here's the latest pre-plan we need. Can you draw this up for us? Because I was taking architectural right. yeah. drafting. And I, I would do all their pre-plans for them at Station 2. And run calls. Of course, we never ran any calls, but... Um, Perry was at four when my first assignment out of recruit school. Okay. Well, which, I, I went over Which to, was where? I, four. Oh, okay. Bon Air. I, I went over there a bunch of times prior to going to two. Uh, Spalding and Perry were both... Because I went to Bon Air while everyone else was in EMT school. Okay. Um, and then when EMT school was over, they moved me from Bon Air to eleven which was the big experiment. Yes, I do remember that. That so was... Um, brand new sergeant, two brand new firefighters on each shift. Yep. Yeah. You all opened the station. We opened the opened station. Opened the station as to a pay. career. Yes, to yeah. pay. Yeah. Um, Butch Jones was captain and had to work every day in a row until each shift got a driver turn loose because the sergeant had to drive until one of us got turned loose to drive. What? So you were that new? Yeah. Oh, and then right. all of a sudden like, now you're driving. Was, well, you got to remember. Yeah, I've been there that four that was, weeks. EMT yeah. was four weeks, and that, I've been, that was a big expansion into yeah. Chesterfield. Yep. I mean, there was nobody to hire, and right. they wanted to put station in service early on. And if Bill Williamson hadn't been volunteer chief, we'd have fallen flat on our face. How's that? He was a Richmond firefighter. I don't know if you knew Phil. Yeah. And he was with I, yeah, the Coast Guard. I didn't know him well. But. And he held his folks in line well. You know, we, we were not two separate groups there. He would come in, and if his, we were working and his volunteers weren't, he would walk up to him and say, you can help him or you can leave. Okay. So well, that's it. I mean, it's it. I we mean, were one company. We were not a paid company and a volunteer company. And his volunteers, a lot of them had far more experience than we did. So, yeah, I mean, I mean he was that. a good district chief. He really was. I mean, you, you look how Hanover built theirs. Look how Hanover built theirs. It was, they were asked to come in. And there were places, rest his soul, Sonny Early, wanted nothing to do with career guys. He needed career guys. I got so mad at him one time. I came all the way from Sled Run up to Seven to drive the truck. He lived half the distance away from me that I did. 
and he's on the phone wanting to know where all the drivers are. Motherfucker, get in the car and drive up there and find out. When Company One was fairly new, Six hated them so bad that McLaurin was one of the sergeants there. They complained that he had shaved the heads on the engine to get into Six's area faster, <laughs> and the county actually investigated it. Like, well, like you it. can really pull an engine down in the front of the firehouse, shave yeah. the heads. Put it back. <laughs> well, this is some great conversations, and I'm gonna, I'm going to start it from when I hit play. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do the intro now. And uh, welcome everybody back to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. And um, joining me from episode one and episode five is John Crosby's co-host. John, thanks. Thank you. And I guess is I didn't the, know we were recording. I should have been quiet. Nope, <laughs> nope. That's what it's about. And uh, I guess unofficially, the assistant co-host would be Steve Wood because this is his second time behind the mic from episode five talking about Henrico's hit team or not hit team, but the technical rescue rescue challenge, rescue challenge and yep. his career. But um, I'm going to call this episode uh, Equal Time because I got a call a couple of weeks ago from a longtime friend that uh, kind of had a call it a mar marginal complaint about <laughs> one of the episodes and said, you know, you gave the police officers kind of a hard time. So uh, that gentleman who's a longtime friend is joining us here today, Jim Murphy. Jim, how are you? Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, a little bit about Jim. He's a former police officer in Henrico, but more important than that, and some of, some of the history we'll talk about here is this time at Lakeside Rescue Squad. And you, you'll probably remember, if you did listen to episode five, Jim was a topic of conversation there um, and how Steve got involved <coughs> in the rescue squad and the fire department. But what you haven't heard yet is some of the practical jokes, and we're going to talk about that one too before we get into it. So um, so anyway, first and foremost, Jim, thanks for, thanks for being here. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. So, I've uh, enjoyed the podcast. Great. And... Um, I kind of want to just, you know, we, we, you and I talked, I guess, months ago when this first came out, and you three guys were kind of in the junior rescue squad in Lakeside in Henrico. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved with the rescue squad in Henrico back in the day. That's a, we moved here from um, Atlanta, Georgia, between the 8th and the ninth grade. And so that was 1971. And so I was 13 at the time, turned 14 that summer. And my dad had, we'd always stopped in firehouses and, and all that, chased fire trucks. We'd done all that. So I had sort of an ingrained interest in it. And I found out they had this volunteer rescue squad. So immediately went to find out about it and, and immediately got mad because I had to, had to wait to be 15 to be able to join. Uh, and so... You know, I, I waited. The, the day I turned 15, I filled out my application. And so that was at the end of August. The first junior squad meeting was in September, and I was in. There you and go. you dragged me with you. You came, I think, the following month. I, I did. I did. The following we, we month. We had gone over to Station 1. Oh, yeah. And talked to them about becoming cadet firefighters. Right, we did. And uh, they said, no, I can't do that, but you can go in the rescue squad. That would be a good start. You can get your first aid at the time out of the way. And um, you told me, said, come on, come on, go with me. And I went, nah, you know, I'm not interested in that stuff. And we got over there. Because you wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to be a police right. officer. Um, and we got there and you said, look, it's only, you only got to put in 12 hours a month. 12 hours a month and you can come dispatch. You can do that. 12 hours a month. And I went, ah, okay, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So that's how it started with the 12 hours a month that turned into 100 plus hours a week. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Sleeping on D-ring stretchers in the bunk room and all that. Yep. John, you were right in there, right? Like October, I was, November maybe? I was in homeroom with you. Yeah, Miss Connors class. Yep, and you talked me into coming to the squad. Yep. So you're, you're to blame for me as well. So this well, is your fault. Oh, so you all know, of this is your <laughs> fault, Murphy. It, it absolutely is. <laughs> and my legacy to the public safety community is my friends <laughs> it's it's my friends they they all did so well you know and and i was except for steve and i but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well i mean well yeah, you can't I mean, have everything yeah. right you know and we god we the thing i think a lot of people today would really go nuts about and i want to say before i forget is when you joined at 15 they taught you how to answer the phone 
and there was no such thing as 911 in those days. If somebody had an emergency, we gave out stickers and magnets and all that. They called the rescue squad, and some 15-year-old kids on the other end of the line getting information, you know, and handing the, the call slip to the crew to go out. And um, unheard I, I, I of today. I look at that now and go, you know what? My grandson's almost 15. It's like, I just don't believe that I was that young when I started doing this, and that much responsibility yep, no was question. just like crazy. Well, and, you know, it's changed so much, and, and honestly, probably for the better. But, I, you know, I live in Atlanta, and I rolled up on a car crash not too far from my house, and I dialed 911. There was a couple injuries, and they start reading the menu, right? The, you know? Yeah. Yep. And you start going through this EMD menu, the emergency medical dispatch menu, and I haven't even had a chance to figure out what's going on yet. They finally, you 40 questions. they finally hung up on me. I said, I'm trying to figure it out. I'll tell them when they get here. You know, that's the way we used to do it. You know, you, right. you get there and surprise, whatever it is, it is. And you just <laughs> dealt with it instead of, and like you say, it's, it's certainly better, right? You can give emergency instructions and things that we could never do. Although I did tell somebody one time to pull the person off the bed and start CPR. I just didn't, hadn't realize they blew their brains out <laughs> at the time. <laughs> Seriously, this lady called and he wasn't breathing in this and he's on the bed and got the crew going and I said all right now pull him you know he can't be on the bed you got to do and she goes but there's blood everywhere I said, what do you mean there's she, well he shot himself <laughs> never mind just let him lay <laughs> just leave him there so um, you were in charge of I mean at the time when I came into the lakeside there were four ambulances two crash trucks on those crews were they all staffed when you guys were there as dispatchers or did you have one crew oh, or lucky to have one um, we had we had plectron. Everybody had a um, a radio that they took home. They were issued. Uh, it was called a plectron. A receiver. And, and, and a receiver. Yes, it wasn't a radio. It was a receiver. So they would tone it out, and the tones would go off. And middle of the night, you'd get up and you'd run to the to the rescue squad in your vehicle. Uh, once we turned sixteen, uh, we we'd get up yeah. there and no no walls were broken. No, ne 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 never. <laughs> that's the other thing. That, you know, all of the statute limitations have gone for the, most of these stories well, coming out today. that's a good thing because so. all of us had a little red light that we put up oh, on yeah. the dashboard or up on the roof of the car and rolled down the road, and we're lucky that we didn't have more problems than we did. Yeah. Well, the night crews were assigned every six nights. That is night. true, yeah. And uh, so you usually had a crew at night, but in the daytime quite often there was no one at the, the, the rescue right. squad. And back then, the, the night crews were actually filled out pretty good. Right. I mean, there was six, eight people deep it was on six, each of the night crews. and then Six-night rotation. Whenever you work Saturday, you had to stay over Sunday. And as junior hours. members, we were assigned to each of the night crews. There was a, one or two junior yeah. members on each night crew. I think they were trying to figure out a way to separate us. Absolutely. There were so many of us. Move it, move it a little closer to yeah, you. Sorry but the that. fact there, of the matter is, is that a, a whole lot back then, a lot of the calls were answered by the juniors and uh, by a lot of the work that was done was done by the junior squad. Well, you only had to have advanced first aid. That's right. right. So, That's that, right. so that begs the next question is from dispatcher, what was the next step in the hierarchy to get well, an ambulance? And once you turned 17, you could be in charge of the unit. 18 was to drive. But somehow we didn't all make it Six, to seven. 16, you could ride as fourth. That's correct. Yeah, and yeah. You could ride in the back. The you could ride person, the back, which but meant you were always back there, no matter what it was. We did. We didn't all make it that far before oh, we no. started being in charge of the units. Right. In fact, my first call that I was in charge of, I was 16. Call came in. They paged it out, paged it out, paged it out. There was a driver there, and Mr. Parker, um, a, a guy who'd been around forever, was old guy dispatching. He looked at me and he says, "Boy." Get on that ambulance, and I went, I, I, Mr. Parker. I, I'm I'm not I'm not turned over to be in charge of the unit. He goes, we got to run calls out here. These citizens are depending on us. You get your on that ambulance right now, and I went, okay, yes, sir. So here I am at 16 years old, quickly um, promoted from fourth attendant on an ambulance. Yeah, correct. To well, and demoted when he got back, as long as there was somebody qualified to, to be <laughs> well, in charge. Well, and you know what? I was thinking about that the other day, and I, I, don't, I don't remember the call. I don't remember anything about the call. All I remember is him telling me to get on the unit, and I remember the entire call. I was going, oh, I'm going to be in so much trouble. 
this is going to be so bad. But the patient lived and got to the hospital, and we did okay. And the entire run report was like four by eight inches. Oh, yeah. If oh, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If even that. Yeah, just yeah. a small piece of paper. It's almost like a scrap piece of paper that had four questions on it, you know. Sorry. And that was about it. So. And this was well before the certified EMTA back in the day. Well, there, the was no, there was no there was office no of EMS or anything. I mean, yeah, there when was... EMT came around, what, maybe 74, 75, something like that? Around 75. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I went over to John Tyler... Right, I remember all to, that. ...to take that and rode over there two nights a week for six months to get my EMT. But, yeah, advanced first aid was a big deal because a lot of the senior members who'd been around for a long time thought they were kind of king of the hill with their standard first aid, which was like, a, I don't know, 16, 24-hour class. And then we young bucks came along, and we were all getting advanced first aid and CPR. Everybody was like, ooh, ooh, these guys are yeah. on top of things. Well, this may or may not trigger your memory, but there were actually a few doctors making the argument when we first joined that CPR was too dangerous to do in the field. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't remember. Well, I remember the first CPR class I got, they were teaching us, um, they wanted oh, us this is an alternative, but the back pressure arm Over Nielsen, Schaefer prone. We yep. did both of those, had yep. to certify both those. Yep. Uh, the old Neofor oxygen system. Yep, yep. Okay. Big old tube with um, yep. an oxygen mask on the end and of it. the yep. suction was oxygen powered. Yep. So if you had to do a lot of suction, you ran out of portable oxygen. The good thing was it wasn't a whole lot of equipment on the unit that you had to deal with. There was some splints. There was a backboard. There was um, a first aid, a big, big old first aid kit, big old metal first aid yeah. kit, and, and your oxygen inhalator. Right. And, um, and don't forget, we were riding in carryalls. Yeah. Yes. But you, so could, you could put your back against the ceiling on those. I was going to make that exact point. Doing CPR. Yeah, you, yep. yeah, you're using your arms. But you are, your back is against there, and you're, you're doing effective compressions. So you didn't fly all around. Yep. Yeah, I remember we, we were on top of the hill when we, when we got our first crew-converted van. Not, not race-top van, just van. Yeah, Thanks believe, to Wayne Kidd. I was going to yep. say, a Wayne Kidd special. Yep. So the carryalls, is that, that's more like a Suburban than yeah, a Cadillac. That's damage. exactly what mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. 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 It just, three, just like a Suburban. It's a three-door Suburban. In the, in yeah, the, uh, there's one. There, the crew guy on the on the on the uh, leader side. There's two doors on that side. There's one door on the driver side, and there was actually a little chair I think there where you got inside that door and you could you know you could shut it and that's where you rode. And you put four attendants on that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, Not yeah, for we, long though. <laughs> I mean we because by the time we turned 16, they started turning out some vans. Oh, yes. there you go. But but yes, we would. It would look like the clown wagon pulling up, and you know you got two people in the back already coming out with two people in the front and and of course back then everybody had to wear your little helmets you know you had your white coveralls white uniforms. yeah oh, white yeah. coveralls or white uniform um everybody carried their coveralls with them so that they could get into them quick over their street clothes so when the blood covered all over the uniform it didn't get all over your clothes of course the more blood that was on your white coveralls that was kind of a badge of honor that you had been in, in we into didn't do blood combat. Blood pathogen no, stuff. Well, no, well, AIDS, no. AIDS didn't exist then. No, but a lot of the other oh, stuff no, did. It, it absolutely <laughs> yeah. did. No, but, it but there was, I mean, no, the more, no gloves, more blood on your uniform, you know. If the, you didn't have blood on your uniform, you weren't doing it right. That, that's right. As, and then, as then shameful you as that sounds today. Then you had your little white helmet, the uh, little fiberglass helmet. The green stripe. Yep, with a green Depending stripe. Depending on who was driving. It might have been a necessary piece of equipment. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I, I got a question for you about driving. The, 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 yeah. A story harkens back to my memory, but we'll get to there. I remember going, Bill Berman and I, riding in the back, uh, riding in the back of the ambulance, going over to McGuire's, and the guy driving hit every curb on every right-hand turn, and every time he'd hit a curb, we'd hand the helmet to the other guy. He'd hit a curb, he'd hand it back all the way down. Because that's down, you know, because we went over the nickel bridge and all that. It was a good poke to get down there. There were plenty of right turns. Yeah, it was before are, UPS. Dri driving was a whole different ball game. I remember going on a call. It was um, an overdose call. And uh, it was in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning. Nobody on the street. Ed Smith was driving. We, we go pick the patient up. Patient's in cardiac arrest. So we're starting to do CPR, get them in the back of the unit, and we're hauling freight down the road. One car on the road 
pulls out directly in front of Ed, and Ed had no choice. He hit him, tailed in, boom, smack, hit the, hit the car. Nobody was hurt in our vehicle, although we got thrown all over the place because seat belts at that time were secondary. Well, and it's not and like there isn't anything sharp and you know square edged in the back of that thing to dig into you so we hit hard and uh, you know ed goes hey, everybody all right everybody okay he said yeah yeah we're fine turned around and looked and the patient was awake it had cardioverted the patient with the impact of course that was before we had als or any of that stuff or even knew what cardioverted was yes all we knew was we were doing cpr and all of a sudden this guy woke up so of course at the time we were going like look what we did of course, it was pretty expensive cardioversion for tearing up the ambulance. Hey, but officer, I had to run into the back of him. I, that's the only way we <laughs> yeah, saved this yeah. guy's life. Yeah, I couldn't run into the front of him, so I had to run into the back of him. Cool. Uh, so, Jim, your your career went a different way than the fire service. Even though I've seen yeah. a Facebook picture of you that I'm going to find, and it's going to go be associated with this post. So, uh oh. It's uh, I don't know where I don't know where it is, but it's many years old, and you're in a turnout coat and holding a nozzle. I oh think. yeah, P- I, I have Pete. that picture. Yeah, that, yeah, it's Pete Talley's gear. It was done for the 1975 scrapbook uh, contest at the state convention for VAVRS. For VAVRS, and if you look above it, it says fire extinguisher, and it's pointed down. <laughs> that was going on there. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know we. I think Musselman was in charge of that thing, and that thing actually was awesome. There was, was so many cool... Was that the one with the, the uh, wooden yep. edges on it? Mm-hmm. And Yeah, that was a pretty cool scrapbook. He, he, and, they, of course, he, we did a bunch of them over the years. Right. That, that was, was that probably one won. the best one. Yeah, that one won, and it's out there someplace. Uh, I had it for a little while, and I'm not even sure how I got it, and then I passed it on. Um, but, yeah, that was... We had... I mean, we had so much fun. We had, I think, Terry Wright doing the Kilroy thing, you know, where he's peeking up, wearing a, took the liner out of his helmet, his helmet's all the way down over his <laughs> ears. And, oh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That actually, when you guys competed with that, I was gone because I went into service in 1975, and so I was gone until 1978. And these guys, you know, as far as this stuff goes, they got way ahead of me, way ahead of me because I think, were you guys cardiac techs when I got back? Uh, I yeah. took my cardiac class in 75. Yeah. 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 So you yeah. guys were already cardiac techs. I was yeah. advanced first aid when I left. So, you know, I kind of I kind of got behind the eight ball. But by then, you know, Steve, when he mentioned in, in the one podcast that he did that he wanted to be a police officer and I wanted to be a firefighter, I'd forgotten about that. But he's absolutely correct. 100%, I wanted to be a firefighter. And why I didn't ever become one is, is beyond me, although I loved my time with the Henrico Police. Love my time with the police department. Um, but s- during those three years from 15 to 18, um, you know, I had a lot of positive influences from the police department. You know, Doug Salter, Carl Murdoch, O.T. White, you know, th- th- these guys that just kept coming in and, and all that. And, and so I, I ended up ultimately changing my mind and saying, you know, this is the direction that I want to go in. And I actually went into the military and became an MP. So is that what started it, or did, did you know those guys before you went into service? And, uh, I knew before I went into service. And they 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 kind of influenced me. Yeah, I, it just they, they were regulars at the uh, squad. And I think Doug was actually a member. Member. Yes. Oh yep. yeah, he was. Yep. And, and that see, I did exactly the opposite. I wanted to be mm-hmm. in the law enforcement business, and I rode along with Doug Salter mm-hmm. probably a dozen times, maybe not that many, but eight or nine times. And after it was all over with, I went, why in the world do I want to do this when all I'm doing is going to work and somebody can take a pop shot at me just because I'm working? And, of course, today it's, it's even more so. But I, I decided at that point, uh, you know what, medical world, it's moving towards the fire business. So that's when I joined the volunteers uh, cadet over at Station 5 and then kind of worked from there into the fire EMS world. Well, you know, I, I worked on Dick McClure over at five for a year trying to get to be able to do both. He finally said yes. To do both, be on the, in the squad and a and cadet? And a cadet, which would have killed me. I'd have just been at the firehouse. Took that, uh, that idea home to my mom and dad. That was the end of that. 
you could pick one or the other. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up staying with the staying with the rescue squad to no regrets. I mean, well, they ended up letting Ricky and I, because Ricky right. being his son, you know, if he let Ricky, then he kind of had to let me. Right. So we were at both for a, a while. Of course, we'd be over at the rescue squad, and we could hear the Claxton, the, the horn, go off over at the firehouse. We'd run across the street, grab our gear, and jump on the back of the fire truck and um, on the way out the door. And then we'd be at the firehouse and hear the Claxton go off over at the rescue squad across the street, run over there, and jump on the ambulance. ambulance. So, so um, you were doing this whole bounce bouncing back and forth from ambulance to fire truck way before it was cool like they're doing today. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and actually, it was probably frowned upon. Oh, oh <laughs> you yeah. Know that oh, you big, were doing that. Big big time. Big time. Because a lot of times they'd be pulling out on the ramp when I was grabbing my gear and going, "Hey, hey, wait, wait, wait! I'm coming! I'm coming!" And they would slow down for me to jump on the back step. Of course, back then you could ride on the back step, and Them I mean that days. was that was cool. That was fun. And then get dressed on the way down the road, going down Trying the road. Trying to hang on to the yeah, tailboard. Yeah, if it was two of us on the back, one would hold the other one while they were getting dressed. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That things that we did then we could never ever ever do now. And this was probably something that influenced me a lot when I was in the squad. And, and Jim mentioned that, that there was a bunch of police officers that were hanging out at the rescue squad. There, was, there were certainly career firefighters either associated with number five or working firefighters who were volunteering at the squad at the time. Talk a little bit about what that was like with that, with police officers, like dogs and cats sleeping together, police officers, firefighters, EM, EMT, EMS personnel kind of working together in that environment. I don't think there was any animosity. There was no issues. When you were at the squad, you were part of, uh, for lack of a better term, part of the family. And and sure, the family had its issues, many, many issues, which is why we're doing this podcast, I think. But the fact of the matter was is that everybody there pretty much got along and watched each other's back. I don't think there was any of that fire police at least not to me. No, I, I know when I became a police officer, it was not at all uncommon to stop in, you know, if you had a firehouse in your beat, that's just kind of where you went. I mean, I can't tell you how many meals I ate over the years, how many dishes I washed, because I could never win those stupid card games that they played. <laughs> you know, none of those things were ever familiar to me. And I, I think, you know, I think it was John Candy and that guy in stripes. Oh, no, if you'd have had five twos, <laughs> you'd have won. But I had one of the twos, so I win. I mean, it was sort of one of those deals. I washed a lot of dishes. Now, they wouldn't have pulled their eyes over any police officers. No, 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 not one bit. But, you know, I, you know I, everybody knew I had, a pre, I had a great relationship. And I, as a matter of fact, when I was a field train officer, I would take all of my probates to the firehouse because in those days – there was somebody in the Henrico Fire Department that did something you needed. They might have done drywall or painting or roofing or tile or, or something. And they were always great. And it was a great place to eat, cheap. You know, you go in there for two bucks. You know, have, it, have a good meal and all that. Um, so, yeah, if, if, I, was, if I had a, a firehouse in my beat, and it was a meal. I was that's the first place I went when I got out of briefing was to give them my money and say, I'll be here for whatever meal, you know, lunch or dinner. And back then you could pretty much count on eating close to on time. Oh yeah. As a, as opposed to now, the poor folks that are running at the fire station, they eat when they can, you know, because they're probably running up and down the road. I'll never forget I was at number twelve eating dinner over on West End Drive. And they caught a house fire, not too far away. You could get to it through West End Manor, but it wasn't in West End Manor. And so they had to drive down West End to Hungary and come in. Well, I had my police car, so I just darting, darting through the neighborhood. And I mentioned this to you the other day. <laughs> I'm going I, um, over the question. Yeah, you, yeah, you know, you know where I'm going. I did not park in front of the fire hydrant. I was so going to be the knows. question. How yeah, many hydrants I, have you parked I, in front? I of? never parked in front of one ever. But on this particular one, I got there before they did. It was a small cul-de-sac. I could look down, and smoke was pouring out of the front uh, front door. I put my spotlight on the hydrant for them so they could see it. And I was doing, you know, what cops usually do with those things. Get back, you know. <laughs> you know, two streets make a left. Let's go. Get out of here. And they called me on the radio and said, uh, can you run back to number 12? There's still pies in the oven. 
<laughs> so I had to run back to number 12 and cut the head, cut the stove off or cut the oven off. Oh, we did. Oh, that, 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 yeah. yeah, that happened a lot. Mm -hmm. Is you know, we, we had something in the oven and we get caught, caught up on a call and of course there was a kitchen cabinet fire as a result of that one time, but um, we, we probably don't need to talk about that here. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no mistakes. Uh, so that was my question. I was going to ask yeah, you if you'd ever parked never. in front of a fire hydrant. That was, that was always the clue. Well, yeah, I mean, because I, you know, in 1981, I moved to Hanover just so I could become a volunteer firefighter. So I've always had kind of the crossover between between the two. And um, so I, you know, I had more of a, a thought process. You at least understood the yeah, tactics yeah. and strategy on the fire right. ground. Yeah. yeah. Still think I do. I'm not sure I'm right, but I think I do. Well, you still you're still involved with the fire service down I am. in Georgia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I still I still enjoy helping people. I still enjoy, you know, going on calls. Yeah. Well, speaking of calls, what um, what types of calls, either in your police career or, or volunteering at Hanover at Lakeside, any any calls that stick out in your mind that uh, may have been entertaining or noteworthy? Yeah, the entertaining ones usually involve nudity so we probably shouldn't go there who's yours or the patients well the, no the on duty on duty was it was another person off duty it could have been me um it's hard to say um although i have a lot of friends that could probably tell you well that's a that's a tough question i mean i i, I remember you know i went on a lot of stuff but probably there was a um over in Governor Square, one night on midnight shift, caught a shooting call over there. And the other police officer and I, we come up on Azalea Avenue, and the rescue squad is in front of us. And this was before you kind of, you know, we're going to stage three miles away, let us know when it's clear. And so when we pulled in, they were actually starting up the stairs, and we called them back. And so, you know, we go up the stairs get to the door and the way this apartment was you walked in and made an immediate 90 degree turn left so you know it's a shooting call we don't know what's going on you know we're taking all appropriate caution open the door and all you could see around the corner was this bloody hand moving up and down like a horror movie and um come to find out this guy was shot under the chin went through the the, the roof of his head and um, still waving his arm. Still waving his arm. A guy lived. Believe the only permanent damage that he had was he might have lost vision in one eye. But he'd been playing Russian roulette all day. There were bullet holes all over the apartment. And uh, he finally cooked one off that went under his, you know, up through the bottom of his chin, through his mouth, behind his eye, and out the top of his head. Jeez. Yeah. And the th I mean, the thing you remember is that bloody hand, you know, because it's just moving. And you go, what? And the guy couldn't talk. And there was a dog in there. And he had people in there for a long time before he did that. But they all finally got freaked out when he started trying to have sex with the dog. I mean, it was, we didn't see any of that. But it was, it was just a bizarre call. It was just yeah. a bizarre call. And there's, you know, that kind of stuff happens all the time people have no earthly idea but that kind of stuff happens all the time yeah. if you wrote it in the book people would say yeah that's no way that happened you made right. that up nope that no really well, no, we, right, we ran on a guy who tried to commit suicide with a shotgun and blew the front of his face off and you know he's alive and he wasn't talking to us but he was alive and he was successful uh, a couple months later when he came out of rehab but um yeah, yeah, there was a couple of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just it it just happens all the time. Yeah, a anywhere it doesn't matter. You know, Henrico County was considerably different in those days than it is today. You know, not nearly the populous that it was in those. You know, that it is today. And and I mean, it happens in small communities. It happens in large communities. It happens all the time. Still, all the time. Steve, you talked about the the Gaston. Hurricane, hurricane, tropical storm, whatever it was, and when it came through here, when it came through Richmond, yeah. Any other calls? You've been going back to your junior squad days, or John, back to your junior squad days. Any of the, any yeah. of those things stand out? Yeah, actually, um, 
We were responding. It was snowing. It was probably it's one of the big snows in Richmond. It's probably six or eight inches of snow. Responded over to Chamberlain Farms. Got over there, and uh, Carl came in as a, um, a suicide. And we got to the scene, and the police were already there. Um, they had already gone in the house. And when we got out of the ambulance, started walking up to the door, and in the in the yard had been written helter skelter in the snow. So went went in the door, and and all the windows and all the doors in the whole house were wide open. Went in, went upstairs, and there was a lady laying on the floor. Um, she was cold. She was blue, and. Uh, the police officer, when we walked in, said, don't worry about it, she, we've, we've already, she's dead, she's, she's out. So just as a general practice, went in and took a look and put her on the monitor and blip, blip, blip. Not quite. Said, wait a minute, hold on a second here. And then she took a breath, and of course, everybody in the room, I looked around and said, did anybody see that besides me? And everybody was like, oh, oh. the police officer was absolutely not. I didn't see anything. So anyway, long story short, we ended up transporting, doing CPR, took her to the hospital, and I went to visit her the next day uh, where she was in, um, in, in the ICU and she had lived. She'd taken an overdose, and of course, with all the windows and doors and the hypothermia, of course, we didn't know anything about hypothermia back then. I mean, we, we had no clue. Yeah, it was a 20-minute block in advance first aid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, if that, yeah. if that. But um, so we didn't know anything about all that. So that was um, that was a save that we probably would not have saved had it just not been for one of those things. You know, we'd have pronounced her dead, and she'd have either gone to the morgue and and died, or colder. she would have woke up at the morgue and surprised somebody. Oh. I got a story about that. From the morgue? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I was 16 years old. Ran a, came in as a traffic accident, and, and it was a, a fatality, but a, apparently the victim, I'll try and keep this as generic as I can, uh, the victim had passed away prior to hitting this telephone pole because they had a cut on their head that wasn't bleeding. So we, um, you know, we waited for the cops to do what the cops do and, and all that. So we were there. And in those days, we transported to the morgue. Now, now they got a 16-year-old kid with them that's never been to the morgue. And I remember so, the story. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, the uh, squad leader, the person in charge, is supposed to know, and there's that many people, supposed to ride with the, the victim. Well, he wouldn't get back there. He wanted nothing to do with it. So me and another one of the wilder members of the Lakeside Rescue Squad. We were riding back there, and this wound started seeping blood. And, you know, by the time we got to the morgue, it, it was pretty good size. And we take, you know, take the person, and we go into the, go into the morgue, and the, the guy from the rescue squad goes, I can't stand it anymore, and he throws the, throws the sheet off and feels for a pulse and goes, oh, my God, to the squad leader, this person has a pulse. The squad leader says, push them in the corner. Maybe they'll die by morning. <laughs> I swear to you that happened. Oh my. oh, my God. We were, I mean, to this day, you just go, oh, you know, obviously we never would have done that. But it was so funny because I'm almost certain he was not, he was serious. Oh, no. And then they started, you know, taking a tour of the morgue on my behalf. And uh, when seeing things that finally scared them, so they stopped. Right. It was rather unique transporting uh dead bodies down there i mean that, that of course i don't think they do that anymore from the squads mm -hmm. at all uh but um i remember going down there i wasn't on the call but i remember hearing about them going down where the driver was really like you were saying you know didn't like the whole idea at all and there was somebody that was riding in the back why they were in the back i'm not sure but they started talking to the patient or to the <laughs> to the person who was whatever, dead yeah. and going oh man it's okay don't worry about it this is all good it, it, it's okay we don't mind doing this it's all right and started freaking them out and they were like nope i'm out and parked the ambulance said oh, nope i'm not going wow so i got a morgue story i i wasn't working i was still in high school rode along with david johnson and a guy named i think tony johnson in the city 
back when it was Commonwealth Rescue Services. I just rode along for a shift in the city, just get interested and see what's going on in the city. Something like you know, 10 o'clock one night, we took somebody to the morgue, pretty uneventful, fill out the toe tag. Here, Junior, you got to put the toe tag on the body. Okay, put the toe tag on, wheel them into the, to the freezer in the morgue, thinking the door's going to slam behind me. It didn't. They were nice enough to me. But Tony was a curious sort, and he would go around and look at all the other bodies in the morgue. Found one that had committed suicide with a shotgun, and we all know what that looks like. Oh, this cool. Come over and look at it. Nope, I'm not coming over. I'm, I'm I did what I got to do. I'm out. I'm going. Flash forward to about 5 a.m., we had to take another one back to the morgue. This time, a city police officer, a female police officer, pulled up behind us. What are y'all doing here? Well, this is the morgue. Oh, I didn't know that. Come on in, let me show you. <laughs> Tony takes her in. Come on in, let me show you in the freezer. Let me show you this one. Throws the sheet back. Oh, my God. She goes tearing out. So, yeah, there's always interesting stories from the morgue. Yeah, they don't. I don't think they let volunteers do that. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I, I, I wonder think, why. I yeah. think times have changed <laughs> um, there a lot. I well, I, yeah, the world's changed a lot since the 70s. Yeah. We have seen a lot of changes socially and medically and how it does and we were blessed to be able to to make it through all of them pretty much unscathed oh not yeah totally. nope but uh, uh i'll bring up something that on the politically correct format wouldn't make it today but when the three of us joined the junior squad the junior squad charter said any white male of good standing 15 years or older and you two guys were responsible for making changes in that for the first woman and the first african-american wow I don't remember that, but uh, yeah, no, I remember it in the charter. I, I remember making that first change and and the first women that came in and you were junior yeah. squad president when we changed it, Jim. Yeah, I wish I remembered it because that's actually pretty cool. So and I just don't remember it. Yeah, we we did we did a lot of things. Uh, the the cool part was is that it was one big family and everybody got along and every. And everybody kind of just, uh, they did everything with each other. I mean, it was, it was a tight, tight community. But the, the more cool part of that is that um, we, we played hard, but we worked hard. When a call came in, you know, even when we were juniors, senior members, whatever, it, it was all business on the call. And the group that was at Lakeside I mean, my gosh, you can go back and, and count down the people and their, you know, battalion chiefs, chiefs of departments, um, doctors. doctors, you know, um, cardiologists, uh, nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, um, firefighters at all levels, police officers. I mean, a almost everybody who was part of that group was very successful at whatever level and whatever they wanted to do. And that was pretty cool. That, yep. was, that was pretty neat, that it was a, great to be around a group of people that were all very successful because they understood, they got it. Was it as much the individual's uh, you know, personal um, accountability or were there leaders in that organization at the time that kind of, I don't want to say kept out the riffraff, but certainly had an impact on you guys as 15-, 16-year-olds in the junior squad going Looking forward. Looking back, at, at leadership-wise, I think almost everybody took leadership roles at some point. So, I mean, it was a group of people that – and, you know, a lot of times when you get a lot of those types of people that are leader types, you know, you get a lot of frac fraction. Uh, there, there wasn't any. Everybody was kind of – took everybody else for what they were and made it work. Yeah, made it work real well. Yeah, I think there were so many of us because, I mean, you know, we there's three of us here, but, you know, there's Kirk Scyther and, and Doug Hankey and Stan Slaughter. Stan Slaughter, and, and the list just goes on and on of people that came through there and made some sort of an impact on the deal. And... and Truth be known, I mean, there's some great senior members, and some of them I still talk to to this day. Tom McKittrick, who I love. You know, Wayne, Wayne Kidd. You know, these guys are still out there, still around. You know, Perry Hornbarger, who was actually a junior squad member when we joined. That's yep. right. But was a very Terry you know, Wright. Terry Wright, Mike Hunter. Yeah. All these guys made a great positive influence on us. 
So I and guess to answer your question, you were, um, yeah, not to cut you yeah, off, Jim, no, but I guess it was some leadership that was there prior to us coming in, and they, they kind of set the stage for this is the way this has got to be done. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that, no that's yeah. exactly right. I mean, there were good role models, really good role models, and then there well, there were the bad role models, but there was good role models. But we kind of, I mean, we kind of self-policed. You know, if somebody came in and, and they weren't the right fit, it wasn't because we didn't give them a chance. It's They just weren't the right fit. And they typically would self-extricate. They'd just be gone. It just wasn't right for them either um, for whatever reason. It, it doesn't really matter. Um, but, the, you know, there, I guess to answer your question, there were some really good adults that, you know, and then there were the ones that you had to you know, keep keep a distance from. Well, a couple of years ago, I started making a list of the, the junior members that had come through, and, and I ran out of names around 80 or 90 people, um, and that was just over about a three or four, maybe five-year period, and a good chunk of them stayed around for two, three, four years. Um, it, it, it was just a, it was a really, really unique and great group. Yeah, and your point, I think that I can remember we turned out three physicians, four physicians, from Bill to Danny Wilford to Gibson. Wilford Gibson. Um, I don't know if there's any. Did we turn out any PAs? Warwick Fox. Yeah. yeah but Warwick he wasn't a junior. Train them. So. Jimmy, Jimmy was a paramedic up in Fairfax before he became a police officer in And uh, now he's a victim, victim's advocate. Yeah. Okay. Doing a heck of a job with okay. that. So. Um. Um, big, big into people that have confessed to the police. Oh, uh, Graham. Graham yep. Lees was a junior squad member who became a... Yeah, uh, yep, that's correct. Yeah, became yep. a, a physician's assistant. But I think to your point, I mean, most everybody... You know, we also had a hero. We had a guy that uh, was killed in Beirut, Billy Father, Foster. Yep, Foster. Yep, uh, he was a junior squad member for a while, became a medic in the Navy, assigned to the Marine Corps, was in the Beirut barracks in 1983 when it was... Uh, attacked by terrorists um we had we had great we had some great people because every i think everybody that shows up wants you know they, they come there to help somehow some way and you know it, it, like you say it may not be right for them you know but the ones that it was right for stuck they, they stuck they stuck around and i mean a great example right here the three all made careers out of it you know i was a policeman for 10 years and you know Became my dad. Became a traveling salesman. Been doing that for ever. I should have been retired 14 years by now. But that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> and then picked up jujitsu and then mashed me. Yeah, the pick up. Yeah, mashed who, me in the mats today. Yeah, so. who 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 do, who is 63 years old and decides to take up jujitsu in the middle of a pandemic? That guy. <laughs> yeah. One podcast too many. All I gotta say. One podcast too many. So with that. Uh, you know, you guys were were, were there jun you know, really junior members before you guys, or were you kind of the first generation? Or no, no, there was Perry Hornbarger. He was president of the junior squad when I got in. Terry Wright, I think, just became a senior member. But when we first got in, his big deal was he was the he was a junior squad member who was the crew leader in charge of a bus accident on Robin Hood Road. As a junior yep. member. As a junior squad yep. member. Yep. Yep. Yep, big triple fatality, I think, multiple injuries. Um, that was his big that was his big claim to fame. I don't know if Mike Hunter was ever a junior squad member yes, or not. Yes, he was. When we first joined, he was a junior member and and we're in that transition going to senior member right as right. we got in. Um, yeah. so what was the transition? 21? Mm -hmm. 21 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and they ended up being um, Mike and Terry and Graham and they they all ended up being the uh, the advisors the advisors for mm -hmm. the junior squad, which was great because they'd already been there and already, already done that and they realized that literally by the time by the time we started driving we were running the we were running the whole show. I mean it was yeah. I mean there were a bunch of them that didn't have any idea what to do with us. <laughs> you know I and know they went home at night going oh man. <laughs> and, yeah. it, and it was almost a um, see who could go before the board of uh, directors the most frequent times for things that were done around the building and 
things. Again, we play hard, we, we worked hard, yeah. we played hard. I remember, um, you might remember this too, John, you probably do. We took a class called Basic and Light Duty Rescue <laughs> down off Maury Street. The diesel barracks. The diesel barracks down off Maury Street. And um, was Joe Hildebrand, was that that guy's name? That's that it. Taught us, yep. taught us that from class. Henrico. From Henrico or West End or somewhere. I think it was West oh, End. Oh, maybe he was at I West End. I think he was a West End, End. guy. And but Monk, anyway. And yes, Monk Jarvis. Monk Jarvis, yep. yep. And one of our members thought it would be a good idea to ball his fist up <laughs> and see if he could break this piece of drywall in these in these diesel barracks. He was going to use the stud for an anchor. He was going to use it for an anchor point. Yep. He had a reason for doing <laughs> it. It wasn't just because he decided to push a hole in the wall. I was Picked at, the wrong tool for the job. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I was at that class, but not present when that incident occurred. And for at least a few years after that, was known as the Stud Finder. Actually, I got an award for that. You still have that by any chance? At, 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 no. at the banquet, somebody had taken a two-by-four and taken a ball-peen hammer yep. and that smashed I, that it That I in. remember, too. And uh, I was given that award at the um, banquet. Was it the banquet or a graduation? No, it was at the banquet. Oh. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Well, it was one, one so thing just to be clear, the stud finder is Steve Wood. It absolutely <laughs> okay. is. Yeah, just yeah. making sure we got that on hey, the record. Yeah. But after I did it, I, I rappelled down the side of the building, and I, I worked the rest of the class, did everything that everybody else did, and then went and got my cast. <laughs> <laughs> with a broken hand. But that yeah, was because you were too, too embarrassed to tell I was. I was. I wasn't going to let anybody know. But uh, when the cast came on, it was kind of like, what happened to you? But, you know, that, that whole work hard, play hard, we took every class we could take. You know, anything they'd let us in, we'd take. You know, we participated in all the, the convention, you know, contests and all of that stuff. Yeah, I got to compete with some of these guys. The, the, one of the first basic and light classes I took, Steve was teaching. And I remember this at the old Henrico Training Center. And some girl was strapped into a Stokes or a D-ring or something. Okay, can you say this here? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all I remember was we, we tied the lower line and then tied, strapped her into the stretcher. And you walked up, picked up the knot, and went, it's not exactly the way I would do it, but let's see what happens. And dropped the <laughs> knot. And she, she winds up just <laughs> screaming, let me off of this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah we, did a, we had a lot of fun with the rescue stuff and, and the competitions. I mean, the first aid competitions at convention and district uh, competitions. And we, we won a bunch of stuff, actually, uh, over the years. Considering, was, unlike some teams, we almost never practiced. Oh, yeah. Did well, we, we practiced, practice, but we practiced on the street because so, yeah. we would run a lot of calls. We run a lot more calls than Remember, most. we won first and somehow got bumped out. For Forest View, yep. which became the KMAFV <laughs> mantra from that day forward. Um, but there was just three of us, I think, in that. We didn't have a full crew. It was just three of us. It was like a, you know somebody's on a mountain or something. And they said, well, how are you going to get them down? I said, we're calling a helicopter. How do you think I'm getting them down? <laughs> well, there was no such thing in those days. But they signed off on it. It worked great. And we, we won. And then... Something happened. I don't they, they took it away from yes. us. They took it no. away from us for some reason. I don't know why. Because you couldn't get a helicopter, probably. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. But it, I think it drove to more unnecessary drinking and partying that night. <laughs> but, Robbie, you were putting together a lot of those, right? Didn't you, didn't you yeah, run that for I ran a while? The, I ran the ENT contest for a while. Yeah. And there were some rules in the rules when I took it over that were there because of me, Danny Shaban, Henry Rosenbaum, Henry Rosenbaum <laughs> David that, Robinson. The next generation. The, yeah, that, the, the group after you yeah, guys. The because next generation. We would go in and do the contest, and, and they, would, they would let us look at the score sheet, and we would take it over to the table, and the four of us would go, here's a, here's a blank one. Let's check this one. <laughs> so from that point so you on. cheated. No, no. I, we knew we did that, so we, we, we corrected sure the that error. They exactly. We just corrected it. Right. Got it. So from that point on, then the teams couldn't touch the score sheets. And I think the, the score sheet would all, only reviewed with the captain of the team. So, yeah. yeah. There were a couple of rules in there because I'd been leaning down and talking to the live patients and go, did we miss anything? Left arm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did that a couple of times. You know, 
I took the paramedic class in 1984. I think it was 84 at MCV. Did fine on the written, did fine on the practical, except trauma assessment. And my very good friend, Steve Wood, flunked me. <laughs> it's the only thing I missed. The only thing I missed. I had to go back the next week and do it again. You'd think you'd get a pass from a guy who you helped get into this thing, but no. no. <laughs> hey, every, everybody's got the high standards. you got to hold those high standards. A man of no integrity right there. Yeah. That's yeah. me, integrity. Yeah. That, yeah, there you go. Let me write that down. <laughs> Steve Wood has integrity. <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, guys, it was cold. Oh. There's probably 40 other stories that we could tell. Oh. We, had, we had lunch, and there were some there that aren't going to get on this recording. No. Oh, no, but uh, no, no, but you know, but when Mary Evans comes into town, you can do a whole episode on that call. Oh, I don't uh. know if we want to do that or not. <laughs> you she guys got to come back for uh, she was dispatching that one. Uh, she was, she which, was, her face went blood red. Which call the mixer? Yes, yep. yeah, the yeah. mixer call that nobody would believe actually happened. Right, how many ambulances and crash trucks went on that? Well, I was, was not there. One it, ambulance it, and one crash truck, it, crew. yeah, it was one it was ambulance, one crash people. truck. Um, Yes, and yes, I was in charge, and yep. that was um, that actually really happened with the mixer and the woman answered the door and said, "Anybody laughs, I'll kill them." Two people had to go back to the unit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, we'll we'll let uh, we'll let the listener um, yeah. imagination yeah, run wild just, with just, that. Just run with that, and that was <clears throat> yeah. You know, I've mentioned some names today, and and I th I wish I could name some more, but I with without being remiss, there's a there's a couple of, of women you know senior women that looked out for us too you know well they were auxiliary when we came there they right senior yeah but so connie lacy you know dot don davies um you know eileen johnson remember arlene massey yes yep oh my gosh you know rudy that, and thelma grissom rudy and thelma rudy and thelma were johnny on the spot first time i was ever in charge of a call they were officially in charge of the call yep <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I was on a couple things with them. That well, I was. Rudy was on my night cruise, so yep. he yes, was too. Yeah. Yep. Oh Ruru. my gosh. Yeah. Hey. I they learned snore. a lot from both of them. Oh so. yeah. No, yep. they, there were some great, you know, women and men both. You know, and I, I'm sure I've missed some people that I'd like to, you know, call out. But and I apologize if I missed you. Yeah, and to your point, John, that you know, it was a ladies' auxiliary, and because we did it in the junior squad first, the squad got the females in as part of the cruise then it, the senior squad felt obligated to do the same thing, so they started bringing them in as members. And you're mm -hmm. talking about a lot of those folks. A lot of times their kids went on oh, to yeah. be big in public safety. The Davies, Dougie Davies, oh, yeah. Henrico, and Goochland. Well, you say that, but Dougie was there the first day That's I right. showed up. Even though to, he was too young to at, ride. At 15 years old, he was seven, know, eight, ten, yeah, eight, nine. 10. Something like that. He was there, and he was helping his sister with dispatching, and he was out doing working on the units um, at ten years old. I said at lunch, he knew more about that unit at ten years old than I ever knew. Yeah, he. Um, I mean, he knew because he was there with his mom and dad every Thursday afternoon from twelve to six. Bob Hayes, Bob Hayes's daughter went on to become one of the best emergency planners. Yeah. and you guys in Henrico were blessed to have Anna. Yep, yep, yep. Bob well, Hayes. You know, great guy. Great yeah, guy. Bob. Bob worked with um, my wife Judy, and uh, they they worked together. And he was a great mentor and just yeah. a great person to oh, be yeah. around. So yeah. he, well, he he, was, he became a Catholic deacon. Yeah, taught good ethics and and yeah. good morals and good great guy. Uh, everything all the way yeah. around. It was um, that's pretty awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, and his daughter Mary, you know, top notch emergency room nurse. I don't think she was ever in the squad. No, she was not. But, but she but she was a ER yeah, nurse. Yeah, top-notch yeah. ER nurse. We used to see all the time. You know, Anna. You know, was Anna you his daughter or granddaughter? I'm trying to remember. Bob's granddaughter. 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 Was Mary's daughter. That's yes. it. That's it. And yeah. she like like say she's probably the best emergency planner y'all have had in it. Like a, oh yeah. Nothing against Robert now, but yeah. Now yeah. now in uh, North Carolina. Yeah, doing, New Hanover. Yep. Yep. New Hanover, North Carolina, dancing. 
Well, guys, anything else? Uh, any other pearls of wisdom for the younger younger audience coming along today? Uh, how to survive? Write everything down. <laughs> Write it down because it's so hard to remember years later because, you know, we could all probably write a book that what, would make you laugh what, and what, cry. What did I say in the last one? said that if, if I'd kept a journal, it, it might not have been a bestseller, but it would have actually guided me to, you know, what's really important that I need to write down. Yep. And you go back and you could look at it and just laugh and, and smile and cry, cry and oh, yeah, and all everything else. And remember, nowadays we live in the day of cell phone cameras and videos. We did not have to deal with any of that. Thank None. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> For, to some degree, thank but goodness. You know, a lot of the people that we've talked about, you know, or, or we grew up with in the squad aren't with us anymore. You know, I mean, it was so many years ago now. Um, you know, I mean, even even David Robinson, you know, younger than us, passed away tragically, what, last year, I think, yes. sometime. Um, he had a medical condition or, or whatever it was. But, you know, great guy. And it just, um, we've, we've met over the years, I think, some pretty incredible people. Craig Vaughn. We got to serve alongside of them yep. and um, have a few laughs, have a few tears. Work hard, play hard. Yep. And, um learn to try not to get arrested at convention <laughs> <laughs> well and, and and learn about people i mean just oh, yeah. you know get to know people and get to that that family will always be there i don't care whether we never see each other again when you do it's like you just was last week you know and this will get cut out but since we're talking about convention the host might have had something to do with someone making the right choice about becoming a nun well, that kind of brings us to the end. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not going there. Yeah. All right. Well, we just kind of went down a path that. Uh, well, well, we said that there'll be parts that'll be cut out of here. So no, sure. I haven't cut anything yet. So even the even the harassing ones. So uh, okay. let's wrap this up with the last uh, question I got for you guys uh, in the episode five when I talked with Steve and John uh, about Rescue Challenge. I asked, and I've been doing this. Uh, kind of setting everything up, getting the sound right, and asking about practical jokes and, um, you know, if, if any good practical jokes. And I'm going to have an episode on that where I just take the snippets of it. And there's one practical joke Steve mentioned. You want to talk about that one? Well, you know, we were talking about that earlier before we came on, and I had forgotten what Jim was telling me about the uh, the day before. That was the, what I talked about was Jim came to visit on his way out of town to Germany, at the firehouse and going going back in the army. Going step, to I'm still step, in the army, just going back. Going back. Yeah, st stepped by and you know had had a chat with me for a little while and he left and went on went on the plane and gone for three years and I went to go on a call and stepped in my boots and they were both full of water completely. Of course, I. Would you know anything about that? I know everything about it actually. I, I yeah. never ever even mentioned it to him up until um, that podcast. As a matter of fact, <laughs> that was the first time. I had ever talked about it to anybody, but Jim reminded me that the night before we had been out and decided that we were going to go to Virginia Beach, just on a whim, because whatever, and um, we stopped, got fuel, and headed to the beach to see um, what is now my wife, uh, at the time she was not, at was she? Nope, she was. No, she wasn't your wife then. No, was it? Yeah, I guess it was. It, it was I think it was. It I think was, it was, it was right not before. long anyway, afterward. Anyway, yeah. went to see her at Virginia Beach. Drove down there and drove back and um, got back about I don't know six or seven in the morning. And I had to be at work at seven. And you had to go to church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to go to church with my mom and dad. And then um, so I, I got you know fifteen minutes of sleep. Went to the airport slept to JFK, got on my other airplane, slept to Germany, woke up at 7 a.m. German time and was fit fit for duty. Was not fit for duty when I got on that airplane, but I was fit for duty when I got off of it. <laughs> and, and I probably wasn't fit for duty when I got to the firehouse either, but it, 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 it's all good. You know? yeah. too, too sleepy, right? Uh, too sleepy? That, yeah, that's yeah. what I was, was talking about because it had been up all night, not because of any other reason oh, that it no. could be. No, it couldn't Well, you know, because that was pre-cell phone days and everything. 
our our appearance there was a surprise, <laughs> you know. And what we showed up at like one in the morning. It was hello. It was late when we got down there, and there was no hey. Guess what? We're on our way to say hey. What are you doing? But it was is a little stuff like that that um, you know just practical jokes all the time. I mean, there was at the rescue squad, you know, it was practical jokes and stuff Take, happened. Taking people to backboards, standing them up against the wall or the telephone pole and swinging swing them off the flagpole huh? squad bought a nose that way who yeah. was that paul paul oh no kidding Dude. yeah when they were flipping him over and they slipped and dropped and when they were showing how he when he's secured to the board he he wouldn't fall out and, and he they, didn't and, and he didn't <laughs> but he had a broken nose as a result of that oh, oh good times well guys thanks for uh thanks for the walk down memory lane and i asked you guys about the leaders that were there to help you through as junior members, and there were you three guys and a bunch of others that were there as when this junior member came along. So uh, yep. just want to say thanks for your leadership because you were senior members by the time I came in. I think you might have done okay in spite of us, not because of us. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying you, well, you didn't assist me in getting in trouble. You assisted me in getting out of the trouble maybe. How about that? Um, yeah. So uh, thank you guys for everything because you did set the groundwork for a lot of stuff in the squad. and yeah, we, we had good people with us, too. I mean, it, it was generational. Yep. You know, now I will say our generation was massive when we went <laughs> in, you know, because it was all of us from Henrico. There was a bunch of guys from Hermitage. Um, it was massive. Well, thanks again uh, for everybody who's listening to the podcast. Drop me a note, uh, firehouselogbook at gmail.com, or follow along on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure and drop us a note and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen on. So uh, Steve Wood, Jim Murphy, and John Crosby, thank you guys again for uh, for the time today, and uh, we'll do it again soon, I hope. Thanks for putting thank it you. all Thanks together. Thanks for having us, and if anybody says anything about me, it was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh-huh.